What are you talking about? Uh, uh, we both have dead parents. My mom didn't really die. She just never came to any of my birthdays. You've got a plan, right? Oh, it's very at least three-eighths of a plan right here. Two-eighths. I'll be honest, all I've got is a letter P, but sometimes that's all I need. Greg Leader, the Alpha Dog of the Apex Predators. Penny! 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 Better written. Killer at home. Better written. Very cliche. Better written. Killer at home. Better written. Very cliche. But I still felt that that story was fairly boring. That's all this series. You don't even have to watch it in order. Better written. Very cliche. Who cares about Doctor Who? Series 12, Episode 3, Orphan 55. Talking this episode will be myself, Neo from Australia, coming off the back of finding the two-part Spyfall premiere a sort of fascinating mess, as well as in Giga from England, coming off the back of finding the two-part Spyfall premiere a sort of frustrating mess, would you say, Gig? Um, frustrating is a quite nice way of putting it, but yeah, that's about right. And also joining us are Disco from England, who I do not think would object to being described as something of a cynic about <laughs> Series 12 so far. <laughs> and rounding out the discussion this week is our very own Hunter, an American with his fingers in all sorts of Doctor Who-related pies one might say. Hello! Before we discuss what we thought of this episode, Orphan 55, can we first just clarify what we thought happened in the episode? What was the plot and the story this week? I mean, uh, do you know, Neo, what what happened? Because I'm at a loss for words. I, I don't know what happened. I'm really confused. I don't know if the <laughs> Earth is destroyed. I don't know how it can be if, if you know... Humans reached for the stars and Earth wasn't destroyed until 5 billion. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's confusing in the moment of watching it. And then when you finish and you think about it, you get even more confused. Do either of our resident Brits here have a better understanding of it than me and Hunter? Well, in the same sense that you can have like three versions of Atlantis in Classic Goo, I guess, you know, you might as well have, a, you know, multiple versions of Earth's future as well. Honestly, I find that whole um, canon retconning aspect to be probably the least problematic aspect of everything this story is doing, because it's the kind of thing you can just hand wave away and not really care about, whereas the, I think the problems with the episode go a lot more uh, deep and more structural, I think. Disco, did you understand anything? Truth be told, despite having a full a4 sheet of notes in front of me i'm just at a loss of how to describe it <laughs> it's just what was it what was it i think if like i try to put it in as few words as i can which is probably for the best it was so the doctor and the fam went on a holiday to a place where a, a furry greeted them and <laughs> Ryan got a virus from a vending machine and sucked his thumb to flirt with a girl. Uh, <laughs> and then the holiday resort turned out to be some kind of like under the dome-esque thing in like this Blade Runner 2049 wasteland that turned out to be the real world wasteland of Siberia. Uh, <laughs> a guy called Benny got lost and his would-be wife kept screaming his name again and again and again and again and again 
there was a weird mother-daughter relationship where the mother didn't recognize the daughter and they kept doing all sorts of confusing things. And there were these monsters that looked pretty scary in these close-ups in the dark and they looked kind of silly when they were just walking mm. around outside. Uh, I'm struggling to pass any more from that. Oh, it was like a climate change episode. It was like, you've got to not pollute and stuff. Otherwise, we'll turn into, you know, the Morlocks from the time machine and Siberia will look, you know, barren, which we just can't have. There was a young woman who wanted to commit terrorism because her mum didn't come to any of her birthday parties, I think. That was in there somewhere. That was interesting motivation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't forget how the episode turned into midnight halfway through. It was very similar, wasn't it? But strikingly similar. Like, they're all so confined into one truck, aren't they? <laughs> it just becomes a one-room drama, and one gets the sense that maybe they didn't have enough budget to do anything outside the truck for that part of the episode. I think this entire episode has used the word Benny more times than the Bernie Summerfield audios. Uh, <laughs> Would not be surprised. That That's a bit of a deep cut. <laughs> right. Um, it's just... I mean, my dad and I watched this show. We've seen pretty much every Doctor um, from their start to their finish. And he said this was his favorite episode by far, probably of the entire series. That's very fascinating. Yeah. Well, um, of, of series 12 or of Doctor Who as a whole? Of Doctor Who. Oh. What? I, <laughs> I guess I think the writer Ed Heim has for better or worse, a kind of unique style that I could get someone kind of liking. Like, it takes you away from series 11. Uh, that was pretty well liked among most people, I think. Because it definitely felt like this isn't just another uh, by-the-numbers, you know, Doctor Who or series 11 episode. It takes you away. It felt weird. It felt like the writer maybe had things he wanted to say, wanted to explore in his own unique ways. And this episode, like... It's super derivative, but I still felt this kind of... I can tell that there's a specific dude kind of writing this uh, that doesn't necessarily make it good, but, like, I find this more memorable than other Dead Planet knockoffs we've had. Maybe not for the mm, right reasons. Yeah, I agree. It's memorable, but for all the wrong reasons. I think Ed Himes' episodes, I think they um, they suggest that he has a bit of a grasp on the sort of things you would expect to be done with Doctor Who, that maybe some of Chibnall's era maybe doesn't quite have that same grasp on. Like, you can kind of see more of that new Who DNA in something like It Takes You Away, or even in this, <laughs> yeah, albeit it might be mangled by a, a rushed production schedule, than you might see in, say, The Ghost Monument, or, you know, I don't yeah. know... Uh, yeah, you, you see what you want. I think with Haim, I don't know if I'm off base saying this, but he feels like he's of like the generation that, you know how like when they started New Who, all these writers were born out of the wilderness and you could tell they were pulling from the Virgin New Adventures and the Eighth Doctor Adventures for like ideas and things. I feel like by this point, people are pulling from New Who itself. Like it takes you away, I felt was kind of a riff on Moffat stuff in a way it set up all these genre diversions that collapsed into to a kind of fairy tale-esque thing and then this felt like kind of a way of filtering through all the dead planet terry nation-esque classic episodes but through like the ghost monument or like through ranskorav Kolos with like the weird wasteland incoherence of everything and like every five minutes it's like the episode would reinvent itself but it would never really 
make any of these five minute segments work yeah it just felt kind of how, how do i put this it felt very um uh it felt very disconnected from yeah. itself yeah it just, yeah it didn't it didn't work for me and this is one of the few episodes of the 13th doctor era that i i didn't enjoy i mean i again i rate series 12 an 8 out of uh, series 11 an 8 out of 10 I think I mentioned that last time, but indeed, I just feel like my my preconceived judgments on how series twelve would be or could be are uh, kind of quashed. I really don't think it's going to get any better. When you say Hunter that it felt disconnected from itself, I really get what you mean because, like, the whole crux of the story is Kane. This like character who's really confusing on her own terms because she's like the head of security and she's also like the ceo like the head honcho in the first place it's like a weird conflation of two characters you think would be separate in the script anyway the whole this whole episode depends on this woman not recognizing her daughter which is like strange to me yeah there's a lot of um parental relationship stuff in the script and i think like what seems to be the case is that You've got this whole ensemble of characters and rather than feeding interestingly and coherently into the themes of the story, which I think you can tell that Ed Heim wants them to do, they end up feeling quite scattered and all over the place. Like the the whole generational parental thing, that's clearly supposed to be commenting on the climate change idea yeah. and the idea of trying to do something for your kids or your kids rebelling against you or, you know, resenting what you've done. And but you know instead of actually cogently kind of working that through in ways that reflect the themes, you've just got some really random stuff, like stuff that just feels very just off the cuff and really difficult to make sense of. You've got you've got Silas wandering off you know, for no oh, reason God, to, to his almost death and then coming back, and you've got the mum kind of disappearing and reappearing, and you, you've got Bella who wants to kind of blow up the hotel because her mum didn't come to her birthday parties and stuff and it just it really it, it just it just feels underdrafted. like i just feel a few more drafts of this you could really get something solid going the birthday party line feels like a placeholder like oh later on i should add a motivation for this character that's like the, <laughs> the joke line that oh you know the birthday parties like it's it's absolutely yeah feels like it needed so much redrafting if that with silas not only does he piss off for five minutes but you also locks everyone inside the linen cupboard I mean, <laughs> what, what, what did he do that for like what did he suddenly gain these suicidal tendencies or something inside to just piss off and get himself killed uh, was Silas the green haired one yes yeah, the, the little boy. oh yes 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 I just it's mind boggling why, why would you write that in I, f- I feel like the scene that uh, I'm not going to say worked the best I feel like the scene that had the most potential to work was that one where the doctor's confronting how does she describe it the, uh, the alpha dog, apex predator wheezy the big dreg and th- this is kind of a um, like there's things going on in this scene so the idea is 13, the 13th doctor creates a closed environment uh, with the dreg because the thing is they're breathing each other's uh, gases because, you know, humans breathe in oxygen and the dregs are reversed. That's like the interesting reveal about them. And so 
we're kind of paralleling the Dreg with its ancestors of humanity and the Doctor with, uh, you know, the 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 uh, natural process, I guess, of breathing. And the Dreg yeah. is benefiting from... If, if the Dreg killed the Doctor and everyone, it would benefit from that, you know. But not in the long term. It needs the, the kind of uh, symbiosis, the interaction between the two of them to not suffocate. That's why... You know, he wouldn't be able to open the door without that. So, the stalemate of that was kind of interesting to me, although it's hampered by the drag, you know, not really being able to act. It's a person in a, you know, silly suit. But the drag having to de-escalate the scenario for them to survive, it feels like a more nuanced thing than just, like, the climate change speech at the end. The, the drag has to accept what the Doctor is trying to impose onto it, the terms the Doctor is imposing. This kind of life support system idea... And so the dreg is kind of transcending its human ancestors, which, you know, they didn't do this de-escalation, you know, at least on the episodes, idea of what humanity is going to do. They didn't de-escalate. They all died or mutated into dregs. And the people who caused the problems in the first place, you know, just absconded because they were the elites that could afford spaceships to, you know, go set up the beast below or whatever. It struck me, um, that scene you're talking about with uh, the Doctor in the cage, um, and confronting the drag on my rewatch which i did at um double speed obviously i noticed <laughs> that scene is like four minutes from the end of the episode it's so close to the end even though if this was any other episode it's the kind of scene that might come i don't know 10 to 15 minutes from the end like before the doctor then figures out some amazing solution to sort of solve the problem or otherwise like move the story along whereas the, this episode feels so truncated that it's just this little scene tucked away almost at the end and all we get after that is some running around and then everyone just teleporting <laughs> way like the, the 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 structure of the story is so you know concertinaed and just sort of mashed up it's really i mean some people have commented that it feels like half an episode or like it's unfinished like it just stops midway and it's a bit it's a bit sleep no more-esque in that sense it's been compared to that episode but yeah. it seems to have almost even less of a resolution to it than that did it's yeah it's very puzzling do you think i'm being too charitable to Heim to like map onto like a interesting kind of climate change parallel in that scene was it just meant to be like a escaping from the monster thing like I'm, I'm not even a particular fan of his style at all but I can't tell if I'm just reaching in the dark to try to entertain myself with the episode or not so the, the status of confusion I have with this episode is so great that I can't tell what's interesting and what is inter- interesting I feel so fractured well I definitely um I definitely think that the best I can say about this episode is that it, when it wanted to create a mystery, it confused people <laughs> instead, and that's the best thing I can say about it. The worst thing I can say is that the motivation piece, being a writer myself, I, I kind of cringed at it. I really, really didn't think there was much of a motivation um for any of the characters really yeah everyone just and i mean i mean they just kind of stayed there even though they knew that they could teleport back um at any time even even i don't know you know what i mean right yeah it's it's like the characters never really got characterized because they never had time to settle it was like every five minutes the episode reinvented itself and there was another twist Oh, they're in Russia. Oh, the you know hotels only extends this many meters out into the environment. Oh, the dregs are humans. It's like I never 
really got like I don't understand the two green haired people at all. Like that was like the tiniest little arc. It reminded me of the Graham Ryan stuff in series eleven, which was like so weirdly inert in how just like oh they don't get on and then he calls him son or whatever and you know hooray. It's it was it was just like that, except it was built on what the Jay from in between is was uh, insecure about his son being a better mechanic than him and then you know half an hour later he's he gets over it like this, this is a pretty dreadful c plot and there, there are too many characters aren't there like <laughs> it's a weird amount of characters yeah it's like a classic who you know four-parter or six-parter but compressed into how long this was shorter than a regular chip who episode was it 46 yeah so it's about the length of a regular new who episode pre-chibnall yeah i thought the uh I thought the strangest thing was that they thought this could work. <laughs> As in, like, they thought it could... They thought it could give the message of climate change and all that, which is a good message. It just... They thought it could give the desired effect with... Uh, and it's almost like a a sort of, you know, oh, we're going to do something about this, and then they go back to the TARDIS. And it's all it's all tied up with someone sucking their thumb. as kind of like, hey, look at me. I, I remember everything that we've been through, and they do that by sucking their thumb. But why couldn't they just go back there in the TARDIS, though? Like, all they have to do is materialise around the two of them, and then just go off home. <laughs> they just abandoned them. It's just well, you know, thirteen. Yeah. She can't be bothered. You know, she can't be bothered getting Robertson. She can't be bothered doing. I don't know. <laughs> the forty-six minutes have passed. She has to move on to the next, you know, episode at this oh, point. Oh my god! Um, Hunter, you asked that question of, you asked how you how we could have thought they could have thought this would work and deliver the desired message. And I think if you like reduce this episode down to a summary of its core elements, like there's a ruined planet that they find out is Earth. Um, the future humans have mutated into, you know, the monster of the week, and it turns out that they're us. And uh, also the humans are trying to kind of re-terraform uh, the planet by making some luxury hotel or whatever. Just those elements, I think you could get a good episode out of that, or at least a decent one. And I think you could you could do commentary on climate change with those ideas. And I think I think that must have been that must have sounded like quite a good pitch to Chibnall or whoever came up with this. But you know, the problem is really you know the execution. It's so you know it's so slapdash and it's so you know it's so tripping over itself and uh, and it's so uh, directionless and incoherent that you know it just can't i i do think there's a sympathetic idea behind all of it but it just doesn't get materialized i don't really feel the climate change connection like at all like i don't feel like it's really baked into the episode and not just because of like i keep returning to the fact that siberia is like the worst place to choose to set this story because it's not a reveal to make siberia a wasteland you know this should have been like a it should have been an actual holiday resort. Like, it should have been Florida or, you know, the Gold Coast, somewhere really pretty and somewhere people actually would have had vacations before. And then it would have, you know, been interesting that they're faked. Like, oh, it used to be like it was. You know, that's, that, that maps on much better onto, you know, current climate change kind of things. You know, like the Great Barrier Reef keeps getting advertised, even though it's getting bleached to hell and so much of it looks horrible now and all that kind of thing. But, like, this could be a Terry Nation, Dead Planet-esque thing. And you could just remove... The, like the didactic climate change speech and a few other little bits and bobs like that and the episode would operate fine like there's no real climate change element to to it i think beyond just like the 
the lecturing. And that's that's why I think we get those problems like the speech at the end is ridiculous because the fam aren't going to go campaign back in Sheffield. They're just going to keep going on adventures with the doctor for at least two more years. You know, so the message is obviously intended for the audience, but it's in a way that doesn't even work like in the context of the fiction. So it's, that you know, that's that's poor writing. It feels off. It feels like you're being lectured at. And even when you agree with the messages, you know, plenty of viewers would have that it, it still doesn't feel good. Speaking of poor writing, show don't tell. That's that's a thing, isn't it, in television? You're meant to show something and not just say it. Well, they blatantly violated that plenty of times with the dregs in that you're constantly being told oh, they're bad, oh, they're really, really bad, oh, they're really, really fast, but you never see it. Yeah, we don't even see them kill anyone, do we? We don't see what the hell they did to Benny. (laughs) Well, I wrote that down as a note here. We don't see. We We don't don't see. It's like, they also commit the mortal sin of showing the rubber suit in broad daylight in a wide-angle shot. I mean, you don't do... You don't do that and there's that one like really dodgy cgi shot of one mm. for some reason it's, it's, uh. you'd think after over half a century of this show they would understand not to put the rubber suits you know in broad daylight stark it's landscapes like that they're just always shambling along and it's just uh. Yeah, one gets the sense that the whole presentation of the, the dregs was so hampered by the production. There's at one point where Yaz and Ryan kind of are running around and they see one burst through the wall ahead of them or whatever, but we don't mm. see that. All we see is like yeah. a massive super close-up of a dreg, which could have been from anywhere else in oh, the episode, yeah. just cut in. Yeah. And it's like, I get the sense that maybe either they couldn't shoot that for whatever reason, or they didn't have the time, or the budget, or it didn't come out right. And the same thing goes with that CGI shot randomly inserted. I just feel so many elements of this are last minute oh god how do we fix this um quick you know put a band-aid on it and i think that last climate speech might almost be something similar like maybe someone said okay hang on a minute this episode doesn't actually communicate a climate change theme very well let's have the doctor just explain it at the end to the viewers maybe we can put that on youtube and say oh she's space greta thunberg which is what they ended up doing hold on i'm going to check how many dislikes that video's got hold on (laughs) uh I, i think it's got like one-third dislikes. Hold on. No, it doesn't, because I checked earlier, and it was definitely about half and half. <laughs> That's rough. Hold on. Uh, 526 against 653. Is that which one's likes and which one's likes, dislikes? Likes to dislikes. So more oh, okay. dislikes than likes now. <laughs> oh, <dear>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, 34k views. I'm sorry, right. under the video, it, it links you to the Wikipedia page for global warming. <laughs> <laughs> Super useful. That sounds like something we'd make up. It doesn't sound like something that'd actually be true. No, it actually does. Like, I've not seen this on YouTube before. It acts there's a there's just a straight up link. Like between the video player and the title. <laughs> Wikipedia, please explain what global warming is. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Oh god. <laughs> My um my main thing is that global warming is mentioned like once, just like all oh, the planet's resources have been depleting and um, there is a war that broke out. That was mentioned once, and yeah. then it's suddenly the big like reason for them 
you know, you know what I mean, right? It's yeah. yeah. It's very disingenuous to consider this the message if it's absolutely not the message that they were wanting to give. They didn't write that in there. It's it's very strange. It's very strange. If you want to hide your main theme in just one throwaway line of dialogue earlier in an episode, you, you have to be named Stephen Moffat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that initial speech that 13 gives, she reels off all those things. So like uh, climate change, mass migration, war, and you know, they're all just kind of, it's very vague. Like It's just a vague sense of, you know, the earth is doomed because of all these various problems. And I think there's something, and that's the right word, actually, disingenuous. I think it's a bit dishonest as well, because it's kind of, um, it's a cop-out. It lets the show get out of actually saying anything specific or saying you need to do this, you need to do that. It's just the Doctor going, oh, you need to change, you need to just vaguely just generally change something and oh and she says that immortal line be the best of humanity you know which is a, a cliche we've heard in you who several times and i just i'm i tire of all that kind of rhetoric because it's so oh if, if you become a better person you know the world will be saved and it just it's just such a get out clause from actually um agitating for any specific direct action or anything that might really make a change it's just designed to make you maybe make you feel a bit better about yourself maybe make you feel like you know as long as i'm morally beautiful that means i'm doing something good and it's, it's just it's bizarre to me and i think it's just it's a bit it's a bit sad i think it's designed to just get on a on a like a button that um you can wear on like a lanyard or something yeah it's it's just a tag that you know be the best of humanity that's that doesn't mean anything to me that means exactly. very little it, it, what it means to me at least is we want you to do this specific thing in the way we want you to do it and we um will keep throwing this specific message in your face until you comply if you understand. I mean, I'm not trying to say climate change is something that we can, you know, dispute, because obviously it's there. It's just the way that we deal with it is... Uh, it's it's a hard thing to say, but I really don't think it is the best and most responsible thing to do. Is I think say the that. show is really trying to... I think the show is feeling like it needs to be seen as relevant. It needs to have at least some yeah. soundbite that people can point to and go, look, Doctor Sound Who bite, addresses... that's a good way. Yeah. Yeah, Doctor Who addresses this relevant theme of you know, climate change, even if it doesn't do that very well. I think it's it's a bit cynical. I think they're doing it because it's it's the thing to talk about now. It's in the news a lot. And if it were by some chance to go out of the news, though I don't think that's very likely given what's going on, given that Australia's literally on fire. Mm. If it, But yeah. if it were to go out of the news, you would see it go out of Doctor yeah, it's. I think back to um. I've been thinking back to Kill the Moon after watching this episode. Uh, you know, twice at this point because, like, this episode's relationship to you know society and what people should do and climate change and all this kind of thing is just like this vague. We are aligning the show with you know climate change is bad and people should stop it and that's it. Like, there's no, there's no actual message. I would say there's not even any any real ideology to it this alignment to it like it's aligning aligning itself with these symbols or this narrative but it's not actually saying anything because if you say something you know people can criticize 
and people there's this there's specifics and there's tangibles to latch onto and things become contentious and i mean obviously this is contentious and how poorly it was done hence all the dislikes on the video but there's not like there's not any real ideology here to like rub up against which is the problem in the first place but i remember kill the moon which is it's flat out anti-democratic like clara ignores you know the the message from humanity the message from the lights and she does what she feels is the moral thing anyway in that kind of scenario that's like a very specific course of action that the episode is you know kind of um uh promoting i guess by by virtue of having the main character you know go through with it and the doctor kind of endorse it and of course that wasn't well i don't know if the any democratic thing really gets fixated on because that episode has so many tangible elements that people you know take issue with but that was an episode that was saying things and therefore it was taking risks and therefore you know it's remembered and it's liked and it's disliked but this it's not going to have any of that because it's not really saying anything it's like you guys are saying all it does is kind of go oh you know we're doctor who's about climate change you know let's move on now uh the 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 thing that i'm really concerned about is how how this kind of plays out for the doctor herself what i mean is she just kind of you know she doesn't know that the earth was destroyed so it's obviously not a fixed point it's obviously not a fixed point in time she doesn't know if it can, uh, if it's the real Earth or an alternate version of it. Uh, so why doesn't she try and change the course of history? I mean, it's just, it's obviously something that the Doctor can do and always has been able to do. So if yeah. it's not a fixed point, then why does she not help alleviate some of that stress i think that sort of go back uh, goes back to kill the moon again because in that the doctor just pisses off because he says it's not his responsibility you know it's humanity's responsibility to choose the path that they take yeah yeah so, and then clara sort of rebukes him on that and even he sort of re- re- repents a bit in forest of the night doesn't he like he sort of he, he says like okay I do have some responsibility I'll, I'll help you when you need it and stuff and um interestingly I think what we're getting at here by um this whole um why doesn't the doctor change the course of history why doesn't the doctor help is that a better climate change episode would have involved probably the doctor actually I don't know participating or you know doing something to fight climate change instead of just being in a very abstracted adventure off in the distant future when Earth's already dead and she can just, you know, run away from some monsters, right? It's like, yeah. this is, yeah, it's like, you know, that would actually, that would address, Hunter, what you were talking about and why isn't the Doctor, you know, helping? And also, like, that whole, you know, kill the moon thing of how much responsibility does the Doctor have? I think the Doctor can help with humanity, you know, not necessarily in the playing God domineering way, but just in the sense of getting involved and just helping people out when they need it. And that you could, and you can do an episode about that. <laughs> That's how the show works. It's just the show is too scared to actually do that in this case with climate change. What I think is the, and this is so preventable, it's ridiculous. What the issue I think is here, and we saw it last week as well with the Nazis, is that if you're telling stories really connected to things in the present or recent history, if you're telling stories about you know, the consequences of present-day climate change, if you're telling stories about the Nazis in the 40s, it's really difficult to interface the Doctor with that because we keep getting back to why doesn't the Doctor do this? Why didn't they change this? And of course, there's issues like if they did change, there'd be a lot of budgetary requirements to reimagine, 
you know, a world differently. And people don't like, you know, the the world, the show's version of Earth veering too much off history. You know, Russell T. Davies's era of the show kind of had a cumulative law of its own. Like, and people got used to the aliens coming back at Christmas, but Stephen Moffat very quickly dashed that away because it, it the show it, it's becomes kind of long-standing and sticky with law in a way it's it doesn't really thrive in doing at least i think most people would say when it does that the show needs to keep present by not making its present too different from our present and that means they can't change the present too much so i question why are you doing all these big stories in the present in the first place go to a story on some random alien planet and you can still have it as a allegory for climate change but you can have the doctor freely and willfully change things and affect things in all these huge big ways and there's no complicated questions of all but in earth's history oh and this is too different to 2020 because you know the the show is fictional the show is sci-fi so why does it keep trying to do these stories somewhere where it's difficult for it to really capitalize off that it confuses me i have a question Uh, i have a question what is the motivation of say nuking the earth because there's no resources that's not that does not make any sense that would just make it less resources than what's already there does war make any sense at all in the first place i think uh i don't want to how to put this the show has a strange relationship with russia at the moment Mm. Uh, (laughs) uh, so like were this script to have more elements i wouldn't be surprised if we had a kind of uh dracula-esque uh case of uh you know certain figures just spitefully having um doing uh i'm, I'm dancing doing around something yeah <laughs> you know some figures doing something i i think i could be totally off base in this but in my imagination of you know the Chibnall whose envisionment of who set off nukes for no real reason it would be a spiteful act by Russia because under this show's vision Russia is scary and bad and Robertson's being targeted by Russians and there's Russian interference and Graham's afraid of the Russians and the Kasavin are basically a big version of Russia yeah the show is this really weird backwards you know take on Russia right now that really doesn't sit well with me like I you know like we have we have Russian friends and it's very strange for them to watch this like we're not in the 80s not saying it would even be okay then but it's 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 very off base but i imagine if anyone was throwing the nukes around just out of pure malice in the show's envisioning of the worlds that it would have been russia i think um they're purposely vague about it but i think when they say they link climate change to sort of mass migration and war which presumably the war would be over resources maybe if we're talking about a climate change scenario um how that leads to sort of a nuclear holocaust or whatever is up for debate but i think the vagueness is just them not actually wanting to get into the nitty-gritty they just need images that evoke worldwide destruction and that's the the quickest way they could get to it and you know we were talking um near you were talking about why do this on earth why kind of make it about our earth rather than some other planet where you can make it an allegory and i think i think the the cynical answer to that is that they they put it on earth because they really wanted to do that um that reveal that orphan 55 is earth because they were thinking oh this will be some really like memorable iconic twist in doctor who right ignoring the fact that you know doctor who has done this <laughs> in the past more than once and the fact it's just you know the the planet of the apes twist you know for the millionth time it's a it's a sort of thing that you might think is impressive if you've never been exposed to like 
like any sci-fi, even massive, hugely popular sci-fi. So it's a bit strange for it to be treated like some really great reveal that's worth kind of building the whole episode around. But there you go. Didn't we have just like a few short seasons ago in series nine, the strange reveal that like the creepy setting we were in was actually more or less Russia, although it was actually a Russian village in Scotland in um, <laughs> Lake Flood. Before Under the, the lake, Flood the is flood. just one of those episodes when there's just so much things going on, it's a bit difficult to really explain or <laughs> ascertain what they meant by that. But yeah, a bit weird. My uh, take on what I can compare this episode to is it's probably going to be closest to American Horror Story Apocalypse. The, you know, the, uh, the, um, that one season where there's like a nuclear holocaust and just so much, you know, like cruelty and nuclear winter and, you know, everybody's just doing this because they want more money or something. It's, it's really dark and really not nice. And I'd say the, the cynical, like, like you said, the cynical, uh, nature of this episode is really what put me off because Doctor Who is not a cynical show. It's very positive, and this episode was completely different. The ending is mean spirited with uh, Kane and her daughter. Like, um, I didn't really notice it as much on first watch because I was kind of bowled over by the next scene, the climate change speech. But on rewatch, I was like, holy shit, they just leave these two women to, you know, like get slaughtered by these dregs. And like Disco said, they are absolutely capable of going back and saving them you know with the TARDIS like it's it, it feels botched it feels weird and above all it feels cynical and mean-spirited and yeah it, it, it's it's grating it's it's strange right I've got a hot take oh go on I've got a hot take I think this episode was great I think it was great because I think it was a parody <laughs> of the show <laughs> and of uh climate conscious Things. That's the only explanation I have for why it was the way it was. It was purely parodical. It does strike me as sort of a parodic take of stuff like Voyage of the Damned, like the, the cynical slaughtering of characters, usually just es- characters. Well, especially in the, the first 15 minutes or so, I think, sort of work as a weird, dark comedy take on this sort of setting, you know, of uh, Holiday Spa and there's beasties about. Because, like... I found it funny. Okay, <laughs> it's it's just it's just jet. There's just so much about at least the first fifteen minutes. It's just so funny to me. I mean, you've it's got the speedos like, joke. That's pretty funny. Yeah, and you've got like the announcements where it's like, oh, if you can hear this message, you shouldn't be here. Leave immediately. <laughs> like, that makes me laugh. And oh, the other quote here: If I had crayons and half a can of spam, I could build you from scratch. <laughs> That's good. I like that one. That's, yeah. that's a line I loved. Oh, and the sci- psychic paper gag. That was a good one with Hythreen. Hythreen. However you pronounce it. I feel the parody element absolutely in the Cerulean 4 stuff, which felt really of the same spirit as the sprinting reveal in Spyfall where we had no foreshadowing for the master for O supposedly being a sprinter and then the huge twist was he's not a sprinter when 
you, we, we have nothing. We don't care about this. This hasn't been built up for us at all. Like it doesn't work. The Cerulean Four thing in this felt like the exact same thing to me because it's like that's the solution. You know, uh, shockingly, we actually can save the day or whatever, and it's because of something we never brought up beforehand. And you know, that is no basis in any earlier lines or anything. It's like <laughs> this such a lazy slapdash form of storytelling, but so, to to the point where, like Disco says, it actually feels kind of funny because <laughs> it's. It's like they're not even trying, and and that's always you know somewhat funny. And even yeah. the ending speech, I find funny because I I think it's so out of touch. Not out of touch. Patronizing. So, yeah, probably. It's just it is just funny to me, especially how they do cut to the shot of the dreg to say, "Oh, this is you. If you don't <laughs> stop using things, I don't know. Eat the bugs." And it's just oh. <laughs> Oh my god! <sighs> I, I I'd have to agree. I do think it's funny in a sort of sick, twisted way. Um, I do think that laughing at people uh, trying their hardest and failing miserably is a human trait. Um, I mean, if you look at I don't know videos from two thousand nine on YouTube, you always see those you know fail compilations yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. If we can make an entire fail compilation of this episode, and it would be the, <laughs> the <whole> episode. episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Hopper virus scene. That feels like a parody of the detox scene from Unicorn and the Wasp, you know? Something's inhibiting my enzymes. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also nothing about that scene. I just want to get out here. I found myself not hating Ryan unusually. Edheim writes like, him rather well, I think. Like, Like, normally I hate... Ryan, because he just is so lacking in character, but suddenly in this scene, he's just, I don't know, he just seems like he's suddenly acting well. <laughs> well, I mean, I met Tosin uh, Cole, and he um, he's very uncaring, I'd say, when I met him. He just felt very, um, you know, oh, I'm not a Doctor Who fan, I don't, you know, he felt like he... Like a Chad. Like a Chad, like a Chad. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the thing is, I think he does sort of more. I want to say slapstick stuff. Well, I think, I think just getting humor in general. Yeah, he's taking yeah. it maybe a bit less seriously in general. I think because that links back to stuff like his um screaming in the Ghost Monument as well. I think when it comes <laughs> to stuff that just requires him to be this kind of kind of goofy presence, yeah. I think he, he does quite well at that. And yeah, I love like, um like, like you say, Neo in It Takes You Away, which is also by a time he has this kind of douchey turn where he's making all these kind of really rude quips about the girl's dad. And like I I found that I thought it was great just because he keeps just sneering and stuff. I think I think Tosin works quite well in that whole mode. In most episodes, he's with thirteen and Yaz and his, uh, you know, granddad. So he's kind of um, cowed. He's kind of submitted, you know, to the fair. Oh, I don't know if this is coming across well. He's submissive. Yeah, he's submissive. Uh, but in this, he's you know flirting with a girl around his own age, you know, in, in a very funny fashion, and he's active in the narrative. And you know, he's 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 a man basically. And I think Tozin plays that so much better than just being like the sounding board for you know his parental figure and for the two women he travels with i think when you put him in situations where he gets to be a man with an active role in the story and you know so he gets the ability to make jokes and he gets the ability to 
you know, interact with people his own age that aren't like weirdly sisterly like Yaz. I think, of course, you know, Tosin, who's, you know, a what man in his mid-twenties, maybe he's going to get to shine some of his actual personality through that. Hunter would be the authority there, but that's what I feel like is happening. Sorry, I'm the authority on what? Tosin's actual personality, more so than oh, yeah, us he's, other three. He's very... I, I'm going to say he's very... Um, obviously, just in this role, because of the the whole, you know, he would get... I don't want to be rude, but I don't think he's doing it because he'd get more um, publicity for a role like this. Oh, yeah, yeah that's fair enough. It's, it's his job. He's an actor, you know? Yeah, yeah, and so I think that he... Like, uh, we asked him... I mean, I asked him, I asked him uh, what his favorite episode was, and he's like, well, I don't know, you know, just this... Uh, this one that's, uh, you know, he, he didn't really seem caring. And, I mean, when you're when you're the worst companion out of the three, I Not guess... Wait, what? Are you sure he's worse than Yasmin? It's a, it's a race to the bottom between all, the two of them. All that I remember Yasmin doing this episode was... Like uh, muzzling Vilma when she's calling out for Benny. That's all <laughs> I remember her skills. doing. She interrupted Benny's proposal as well, <laughs> and 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 she came to the doctor with the revelation that there was a wall around the hotel. Moments how? after the doctor figured out that there was a wall around the hotel, it's how like they were flagging up how there. useless Yaz is. There's it was nothing. really weird. There's nothing stopping people from just walking into that yeah. of their own accord. <laughs> you can literally just saunter up to it. And it's, I don't. Oh, mm, there's not a fence or anything. Just, just. Uh, mm. Oh, that, and the hotel yeah. itself, uh, hotel spa. I thought that just looked generally shit. I thought it looked cold there because of a, I don't feel <laughs> the colours were warm enough, and b, it was bloody windy. You can see everyone's hair yeah. flapping about. I just don't get it. I don't get anything in this episode, which is why I think it has to be a parody. When Graham was relaxing, he's like still in like his jumper and like all his legs and everything. So it doesn't look warm at all. It looks like he's just at like, you know, some crisp yeah, location. He, so there's, there's holiday vibe. Why out at any point? Yeah, exactly. It's not communicated at all. Speaking of uh, Yaz earlier, I really remember Trimnall uh, saying, oh yeah, we're going to do so much with her. She's going to be, you know, so, so important to this new season. And I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing that. Um, at all, I'm I'm really starting to doubt that he had a plan for uh, Yasmin Khan. Yeah, it's you got to feel for Mantip Gill, the actress here, because you think of her every time she gets a script. You know, she reads the woman who fell to earth, and you know, of course, it's barely about her. It's setting up the new show, mm-hmm. and she reads the second script. And it's got more on Ryan and Graham and their relationship, you know, and that's fine. That makes sense. And then the next episode, obviously, is going to, you know, impact Ryan, if anyone, more than the rest. And then she gets the episode about her family and she's like, it's, it's, it's not really doing anything for her. And then you get the rest of series 11 and even in her, like, family episode, Demons of the Punjab. I love this episode, but it's not really a Yaz showcase, you know, is it? It's all series 11 passes and Yaz never really gets her... Never really gets her turn. Mandip never really gets her chance to try and shine. Yeah. And then comes series 12. 
<laughs> you know, you read Spyfall, and of course it's not about her. It's setting up the master and all this new law and everything. And then you get to Orphan 55, and I just feel like Mandip at this point must be sighing every script she reads you know does she even think this might be the one when she <laughs> reads them now or is she just <laughs> resigned to it i have no idea this is probably a very cynical view i'm sure she's having a great time with the show but i don't know if she has any expectation of like getting a showcase episode anymore i've just had a sudden and sorry unrelated thought how would this episode have changed if graham still had the laser shoes or if you pulled the old soft shoe shuffle on the tracks. <laughs> on the death of an, an incredible sight. You might have saved Benny if that had happened, but alas, it was not to be. Well, yeah, because whatever the fuck happened to Benny, because I don't know. Cause it was, oh. I would have loved the shoes to be like a sonic sunglasses thing where they make a lot of people <laughs> groan, but you know, they're constantly used to get out of scraps. That would have been fantastic. He could be the new K9. He could be the new K9 if you had laser. He's the tin dog. He's the tin dog. The new K9 is actually the um, uh, the tentacle inside the TARDIS. <laughs> They're going to leave that <laughs> around. They're just kind of cleaning around. You know, we didn't touch on this uh, earlier. Um, actually, what I consider the most ridiculous and like unintentionally funny part of the episode is that big explosion like right at the very end. Uh, like we get a wide shot of the place blowing up after the fact, but for the shot where like the thing explodes for the first time and the fam are like running to get out of the way. The explosion's out of frame, but you can like see a tiny bit of it enough to tell that they actually did an explosion. Mm. So why the hell weren't the, <laughs> the cameras filming the, the explosion? Why were they just focused on this weird angle at the fam where you wouldn't get your money's worth of it's the explosion that you set up? It's parody, isn't it? They did it bad on purpose. It's like, it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Like you're just Goth wasting money. Place. I wonder though, did they actually do a real explosion? I know you say it looks a bit like they did, but I just wonder if it's so far off screen, could it be something they put in in post prod? Because this episode seems so much like they couldn't realise so much what they wanted to realise. It just feels so much of like a, we've got no time, no budget, whatever, the script's been delivered late, or this has happened, and we're just trying our hardest to scrape a coherent episode together. Because that seems to rationalise so many of the editing choices and script choices. Because And it's at a point where it's starting to seem more sad than funny because it's not like the show is being undone by some weird neurosis on the part of the writer it's just a shambolic production and any potential for good ideas is being killed by that it's being drowned and you know it's not really funny to kick because it's just you know things like this happen and they're just kind of mundane and sad and it's a disappointment (laughs) i think you're right gig i think the it's just depressing. It's really, really sad that nothing seems to be going the way people envisioned this episode to be. And even uh, even when I was at um, my local movie theater watching Spyfall, the premiere, um, the thing about that was uh, Ryan said, or I mean, not Ryan, um, Dustin Cole, uh, he was talking all about... Um, uh, this was his favorite episode because he thought the monsters were really scary and he was Except really invested in the script and knowing how that turned out for the audience must be extremely depressing for anyone involved. This is where I hope you're right that like Tozen doesn't really care like because that's probably a good thing. 
Please sake. I mean, Chibnall has said he doesn't re- he doesn't read reviews, so Chibnall's fine. <laughs> I don't know about the other people who worked on it. They're all yeah. in this insular little world, much like the <laughs> vacation hotel. I've just got one thing. Uh, we've been very uh, negative, but one idea in this episode that I did actually think was interesting and I appreciated was the fact that the dregs, these future evolved humans, the fact that they uh, breathe uh, carbon dioxide or whatever and expel oxygen, the fact that they work like trees and are kind of the inverse of the humans. I thought that was um, that was actually quite fun in how it called back to the whole um, forest of the night thing the whole uh, the relationship of trees and forests like the Amazon to uh, to climate change and I, I like it's an interesting image for the, the successor to humanity to take on that tree-like property I thought that was it's, it's an idea not much is done with it but you know it's it's a cool idea at least I thought they kind of reminded me uh, the drags did of uh, weevils almost mm. yeah absolutely yeah. Well, I just, I, um, I mean, I might, I might, uh, think about, um, just taking a little bit of a break from Doctor Who. That's honestly what I'm considering, at least this new series. I really think that the, the episode itself kind of, made my interest in this uh, series 12 wane a little bit yeah so you're not going to stick around for the timeless child reveal then oh god <laughs> this guy anything yet final thoughts i just can't believe they did a made in china joke in 2020 yeah <laughs> i mean I mean, speaking of production design choices, um, I don't know if any of you guys spotted that uh, background actor with the really cool costume who was just not a character in the episode at all. Yeah. Like that what guy who... Um... All the extras. Every <laughs> yes. single one. I just, I just imagine, what must it be like being someone who does the really cool makeup and costume for some character who's just barely seen at all? Like spending hours painting some intricate design onto a person and for it to just be completely sidelined. It's just... it really That's why it's depressing, because so much effort goes into these productions even the shit ones and for it to just fall on its face so much it's just you yeah. think this, that effort could have gone elsewhere yeah it, it all comes back to the fact that it's easy to miss but people work on these episodes <laughs> <sighs> yes people worked on it so I suppose we can't really criticise it I'll work on you in a fucking second <laughs> <laughs> that's a written pillar of hope that's a written very cliche, that's a written. Pillar of hope, that's a written. Very cliche, that's a written. Pillar of hope, that's a written. Very cliche, that's a written. Pillar of hope, that's a written. Very cliche. But I still found that that story was fairly damn boring. That's all this year is. You don't even have to watch it in order. That's a written. Very cliche.